Welcome to Shark Brain, Episode 3. I'm your host, Jake Newton. Thank you for tuning in. It is a balmy day here in Los Angeles, California. The air conditioning plugged into the window is trying its very best. I think I can. I think I can. The immediate area is just cool enough to not hate life. This is the kind of summer that I remember from my little kid days, my younger days as a child in Central California. Up in the mountains where you're closer to the sun. Where I'd burn, then peel, and then repeat over and over again without the fear of melanoma. That's the Irish in me. That's the Irish. That and the inability to uh, surrender to authority without saying something snide under my breath. And a predilection towards alcohol. Go Irish. Go Irish. Oh, what's going on today? We got Javier done on the show today is what's going on today. Guys. I don't know what you're doing right now, but once you're done with this podcast, I need you to go out, I need you to go on iTunes, and I need you to buy Trails by Javier Dunn. It's a phenomenal record. I use that word too much, phenomenal, but this time, guys, I really mean it. Top to bottom, every song, they're earworms, they get stuck in your head. And uh, the melodies are amazing, the the production's awesome, done by Jim Roach over at Red Parade Music. Guys, go go get this record. Trust me, I wouldn't lie to you. I had a great time talking to him. We'll get into more of that later. Uh, But for me, ah, what's going on in the Newton household? Thank you for those of you who have written in and uh, said said really kind things about the show. A lot of people are asking uh, how the wife's doing. She's doing okay. Um, We have mold in our house. It's uh, maybe one of the contributing factors to her illness. So I sent her away. She's down in Orange County staying with her parents at their hopefully mold-free home while I tend to the problems of the Newton estate. It's got a feeling of an old Bronte novel. Go off to the country with your cousins while we make sure that the Black Plague is no longer the scourge of this town. So yeah, she's down in Orange County with her parents, and I'm alone here at the house, and you know what they say when the cat's away. The mice will order food that the cat doesn't like the mice to eat, that being an entire supreme pizza from Pizza Hut. Yeah, I did. I ate the whole thing. The entire pizza. Halfway through, totally full. After that, I'm going like, well, you know what? When in Rome. Kept on saying, when in Rome. And then I ate the entire thing. I got a very bizarre relationship with food. I don't know. I was a fat kid growing up. I, I, uh, I mean, not to say that I was a, I was a morbidly obese child, but I was just beyond the point of, uh, of being considered uh, sexy by anyone in any way, shape, or form. Well, at least that's how I remember it. And of course, that's left some tasty little scars on the onion that is my psyche that one day I will peel away and find fully formed into the diamond that is self-doubt. Who knows? And I realize this. I realize in a higher brain fashion that my personal self-worth should not be immediately tied to the amount of subcutaneous fat I have on my body. But, you know, I don't know. I I mean, maybe it has something to do with the culture. A lot of people will decry the fact that uh, we're obsessed with how people look and youth and that sort of a thing. But maybe it's something primordial. Maybe it's something in my head in a very basal, ganglial way that says, 
you're not healthy. You're not taking care of yourself. Or maybe it's just something I like to obsess on in order to, uh, to not have to deal with people. You know, who knows? Who knows? I'm going to get to the bottom of it, though. I'm going to stop uh, putting my face in Facebook and Twitter and all that other stuff, and I'm going to rise above. I wonder how many great American novels, how many beautiful paintings, how many symphonies, how many, uh, how many formulas, how many inventions would exist if Facebook never had been created. I don't know. I, I, get, I get the sense. I have a sneaking suspicion in the back of my mind that if I were to give up social networking entirely – that uh, in three to six months, I will have created the best work that I have ever made in my whole life. It would be my equivalent of the great American novel. The rain gutters that have been filtering 140 characters of useless knowledge over and over into my mind will have finally been freed, excised. And then all the silt and the leaves would have time to push themselves out. And in the very center of my gray matter, the tiniest of tiny gems that had been spun over and over in the deeper recesses of my subconscious will have finally had the opportunity to emerge above the din and the clatter. And there it will be. At least that's, uh, you know, it's a hope. Maybe, uh, maybe all this, the reason why I don't just jump off and say, goodbye, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, and all that other stuff... Maybe the reason why I don't do that is because it's a fear of success. And we've got some Freudianism there. Maybe I'm fearful of a success. Maybe, I mean, it, it's more than possible. Because success would be changed from what my current life is. I like to think of myself as, a, as an undiscovered gem. But you know what? If you get discovered, then you have to go on tour. And then you have to face the scrutiny of the public. My audience is intimate. You guys, we are, we few, we happy few. But if we bring more people into this whole thing, then we start to get the uh, reviewers and critics and uh, and uh, shitty kids on uh, YouTube. And I don't know if my psyche can handle that. Maybe it's the fear of that. Of course it's something that I want, but this is the war that goes on in my head. This is why one of the reasons why I started Shark Brain. To figure out why I'm so f afraid of success. It's seemingly very confessional right now, and I, I know it might be a little overindulgent, but you know what? Hey... Indulge me. Do you see what it's like in my brain? It's all kinds of fun. I mean, the mere fact that I can wake up in the morning, pull my body erect, walk to the coffee maker without having an absolute nervous breakdown is a miracle to me now that I examine what exactly goes on in my mind. The twists and the turns and the various different fatalistic scenarios that my brain can cook up without even having a drip of caffeine, which may be contributing to it, I know. But enough about me. Let's talk about who we have on the show today. Javier Dunn. I had a great conversation with this guy. He's laid back. He's funny. He's got a sardonic wit that I can absolutely appreciate. I like to think that that comes from uh, being a Northern Californian. We have that about ourselves, I say as I shine my hand on my shirt. So let's get into it. Ladies and gentlemen, Shark Brain. Can you hear yourself all right? I can hear myself great. Can yeah. you hear myself all right? I can hear yourself. I can hear yourself just fine. This is the best I've ever sounded. 
This is the way I sound in my dreams. Yeah? Yeah. So just like coming on down the line. <laughs> coming on down the line. Hey, coming at you from uh, Radio KLSOU. It's uh, JV, you're done. Hey. Baba Booey. Baba Booey, dude. Are you a Howard Stern fan? Uh, f- out of respect for Howard Stern fans, I cannot say that I'm a Howard Stern fan. Yeah, you're not, you're not a fanatic fanatic? No, but I do like Howard Stern. Mm-hmm. And uh, I used to listen to him when I was way younger, and then I stopped listening to radio, and then... On the in the van days, I used, we listened to him in Sirius or whatever XM. Mm. Yeah, one, one of those two. One hundred and one, whatever Howard is, Howard one hundred. Fair enough. Yeah. Is this recording? We're recording. Man. I love this. This is where it's going, man. This you, is... you can't even hear the tape running. No, not at all. No, no. <laughs> well, I had it oiled recently. You know, <laughs> got it. Got it encased in uh, in titanium. The tape machine. The tape machine. Yeah, yeah. It's got a little vent. You know. That seems. Uh, what's the word? Like too much. It yeah. seems. Seems like you went overboard. Prodigious, prodigious. <laughs> That's a very prodigious outcome. <laughs> so, dude, have you done in the studio? The Shark stage. Brain, the podcast, dude. Thank you for coming and doing this. Thanks for having me. Yeah, this man. is a wonderful way to spend my day. Absolutely. Well, how much of my day am I spending? Well, three and a half hours, and then we edited it down <laughs> to twenty minutes. <laughs> so, That's perfect. If you could just front load it with more interesting information ahead of time, <laughs> just yeah. kind of you know help with the editing process. Our staff of interns from for MI, sure. you know, cutting through stuff. <laughs> A bunch of little Japanese kids running around, just yes. cutting things up. Well, they have to because it's all to tape. People don't know that. That's why it's got that rich, warm sound. Is because yep. we're, we're recording to Studer twenty-four track tape. Do you know about like you're a film guy? Yeah. The with the cigarette burn or the cigarette mark? Oh yeah. Whatever the thing mm-hmm. to change the reel. Yeah. Yeah. I don't remember why I ever learned about that, but I always watching Fight Club. Probably. Yeah. Actually, yeah. Yeah, dude. Wow, you just unlocked that memory. Oh, there you go. Probably watching Fight Club, and then it was now every film that I watch, like in a theater, when I see it, I'm just like, Boop. yeah. They're, they're switching reels. Yeah, look at them go. Yeah, I uh, I used to work in a movie theater that uh, that had only, like, we had to take an intermission for movies like the Titanic. You know, I had to cut in the middle oh, of them, no so everybody way. go walk around for five minutes while... Um, did it really take five minutes to do, or you just did it then? Well, there the, was on these big magnesium strips that were like, you know, or, or reels that were like two and a half, three feet in diameter. Yeah. And, just, and so you just yank that thing off and then feed yeah. it through. But we gave them, an, it only took like two or three minutes, but we gave them an extra three or four minutes so they'd buy more food. Yeah. Titanic doesn't even seem like that old time of a movie. I mean, I get, they still do this then, right? Are there still these giant magnesium reels? And well, kids? actually what they're doing now is digital. I have a buddy that, uh, that bought the hometown movie theater, mm-hmm. changed the model of it, changed it to a Netflix uh, subscription thing. At the movie theater? At the movie theater. You basically pay $20 a month and you can see as many movies as you want. But what if other people then want that? Like, how does the scheduling of movies... You- so basically, you, you can, you know, you show up and you swipe your card and they have it on a, on a database wow. and you know, figure out how many times you go in. And then they use that those numbers and pay the fees to the movie companies. But mm-hmm. what they're banking on and what seems to be working is that, you know, they pay for every person that sees the movie each time they see the movie. Mm-hmm. They're banking on busy adults that pay $20 a month and don't even go. You know? Yeah. Yeah, and it actually seems it's it's actually what working. town is this in? This is in Oakhurst, tiny town right side of Yosemite, mining uh-huh. town. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you're from Northern California as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but uh, closer to San Francisco. Yeah, what, what exactly? San Rafael. Was San Rafael, Marin yeah. County. Our claim to fame is where San Quentin is. Ah, San, the famous state penitentiary uh-huh. is in San Rafael. Yeah, and uh, well, maybe that's not a claim to fame, mm-hmm. claim to infamy. Yeah, there you um, go. Grateful Dead's from San Rafael. Mm-hmm. Carlos Santana. Carlos Santana is from Hales, Yeah, lives in San Rafael. He's from Tijuana, Mexico, but he lives in San Rafael. Mm. Um, you know, a lot of the a lot of those bands from like the uh, from that '60s scene came out of Marin. Mm-hmm. You know, which is kind of cool. Yeah, 
and also Star Wars. Oh, that's right. Shot there. You know, the early Lucas Studios were in San Rafael. Oh, wow. And, uh, you know, just tons of awesome stuff. Yeah, dude. Me. I came from San Rafael. Javier Dunn. Tupac Tupac grew up right down the road. Oh, really? Marin City. I used to go to, um, when I was in high school, we had this this drama um, competition that would all be up at the Motherload Drama Festival. I think we had, like... Oh, wait, that kind of... Where was this? This is in uh, Sonora, I think, or up near, like, actually Northern California. I'll shake, edit in. shake, shake Sonora. Shake, shake your body, body right. right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But it was in Calaveras County. Yeah, I was up. just gonna say where the frog thing. Was. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So we'd we'd, uh, we'd drive up there and like we'd compete against schools like Tamil Pius and. Oh yeah, that was right near me. Yeah. Oh yeah. Guys, in what? Compete in drama. In drama. How do you I, compete in drama? Basically, you do it and you get adjudicated, which is the fancy word of saying like you know somebody who you normally are, works at the tire center. You are the most dramatic. The most dramatic person. <laughs> Did you see the clarity of his character? Good. Job. I loved it. By Jove. So, like, we always, the Tamil Pius kids and the San Rafael kids, all, you guys were all, like, very arty. And we were just going, like, man, did you see that play about, like, being a sperm? Yeah. There was probably more drugs involved in the Tamil Pius and San Rafael High School drama departments. Yeah. A bit more. A bit more. A lot more culture. But you know what? I would say drama kids are probably pretty much the same through all generations in all high schools. Don't you think, like, that genre of kid, like, the drama kid? Yeah, there's only a, a certain amount of people that kind of come out. You know, the various different shades of them. Yeah, the drama kid is. But kinda... I love how like all those those characters that we all went through in high school mm-hmm. s- will always exist. There's oh, absolutely. Be jocks mm-hmm. and nerds and the drama kids. Mm-hmm. What you were know? you, man? Uh, I was in the jazz band. Yeah. So I was kind of like in the uh, in the on the nerd side, like the music nerd side. Mm-hmm. But it was a it was a really a fairly small high school, like 750 kids in the whole school. Oh, that's, that's intimate. Um, so, and my sister was crazy popular. I have a mm-hmm. twin sister. Yeah. So I was sort of like, by default, fairly popular, but... but By but, association. Yes. Mm-hmm. But like where I sort of identified was, I was in the jazz band and the tennis team. So mm-hmm. I was nerd alert. Oh, so you were a nerd, but you were also kind of like, a more athletic nerd. So you can But run. if I wanted to go like sit at the senior tree, you know, like uh-huh. where all the seniors ate lunch, yeah. they wouldn't like make fun of me. Okay, Does because that make sense? yeah, because your my sister. sister would be sitting there. Mm-hmm. Exactly, I got you. Now, but I, the reality was, I ate my lunch in the music room. Okay, <laughs> you just turn the music tray. You know the the music tray, the yeah, music stand. Make it flat. Yeah, and there's your little food tray, and then you can hold your instrument while you're eating. Mm-hmm. Like, and all my friends were in the jazz band too, so we would all just play music and eat lunch for 45 minutes and, uh-huh. then, and then the class my senior year the class after lunch was jazz band oh so it was like just seamlessly going right through yeah and we it. just kicked it and our music teacher loved us and mm-hmm. it was uh so that was like i was way into that world of the music nerds and all four years n- no the first few years i was just trying to you know you're 13 or 14 and mm-hmm. now I, I joined the jazz band junior year and that was really all of a sudden it was like an identity i mean mm-hmm. I, I was playing music since fifth grade but I didn't, it was just, nobody knew about it. You know, I just played guitar on my own and took uh-huh. lessons. And then my mom was like, you need to, you need to share this with people and yeah. you need to learn more and you need to make this part of your life. And I'm going to make you play in front of the music teacher. Oh, wow. And I was like, what? I don't want to do that. Blah, blah, blah. And she literally set up this whole thing without me knowing and took me down to the school. And I, all of a sudden I played in front of the jazz band instructor and he was like, cool. You know, uh, he played bass and I, soloed you know 12 bar blues for mm-hmm. a couple minutes and then he's like cool you're in the jazz band and it changed my life wow well, this is that's crazy all my, all my friends were already in the jazz band too so it wasn't like a whole new social world it just was like i don't know something just sort of lined up in terms of being able to but you needed your mom to 
do the subterfuge. I know. I was sneak told, you in, and, and if that hadn't had happened, I never would have gone after the jazz band myself, hmm. and I never would have had the experiences that I had from that. I mean, I got to play for President Clinton and got to holy crap go around the world with that. Like it was amazing. Like it changed my life, you know, wow. and and set me on this path. My that music teacher in in high school was the first person to really like objectively say, Javier, if you stick to this, you mm-hmm. can do this for a living. Yeah. You know, it wasn't like, Oh my God, you're amazing. And you, you know, anything like, but it was just literal. Like you have a skill set or a gift or whatever. Mm. And if you apply it, you can do this if you want to do this for the rest of your life. Yeah. And I was like, Oh, that's kind of, you know, and at 16, 17, like, I was like, that's cool. Yeah. To I hear someone I say do. that. And yeah. then, you know, and then started playing shows and then that was sort of where the, that whole seed started, but were you playing jazz on these shows? Yeah. yeah. My first like live gigs was playing ba- I played bass too for all of jazz band years. Mm. Um, because they had an, a phenomenal guitar player who's a friend of mine named Mark and they didn't have a bass player. Mm. And the music instructor was like a, a professional bass player. And he's like, Javier, I'll take you under my wing and I'll make you the bass player if you're willing to do it. And I'm like, sure. It's music, you know? Yeah. And then I ended up really loving it. And so I played bass for, those years of high school and then on into college and like jazz bands and funk bands and Latin bands. And like, mm. I was strictly a bass player and all my very first like paying gigs were, I was in a little jazz group in high school called the jazz combo. Ah, it was very sort of creative. Yeah. On the nose. Mm-hmm. And we would play coffee shops and like, uh, art galleries and private parties. Jazz and, had to be big up there. I mean, at least in the San Francisco was. area. Yeah. And there was like, there's so many wealthy older people mm-hmm. in that part of the Bay Area who just like want to have a glass of Chardonnay and maybe smoke a doobie and like hear some jazz. <laughs> and like we would, they would get treated so well at these parties and we'd do like weddings up in wine country and they'd just give us cases of wine. We're like, dude, we're 16. And then like, go 17. Ahead. Better to do it here than yeah, in some exactly. strange alley. Like, here's $150 and a case of wine and go ahead and help yourself to the buffet. Oh, and wow. It's like, Per person, and we were just like, "What?" Oh, that's a be jackpot. Yeah, you're a sixteen-year-old. I was like, "I will do this." Is dream come true? Mm-hmm. I mean, the very first gig I ever played, we just had a tip jar at a coffee shop in San Anselmo, and uh, when it was all said and done, we split it like I got like eleven bucks. Yeah, and I was like, "Dude, I just played with my friends for two and a half hours. I got eleven dollars and a free cup of coffee. I don't even think I drank coffee at the time." Yeah, but it was amazing. Yeah, it was dream. And then here I am. Those first gigs are are amazing. They're, they're- that feel you like you're getting paid that realization that like oh my gosh like i'm offering mm-hmm. goods and or services mm-hmm. and i'm receiving money for it and then it all and then and then i didn't receive money for a long time <laughs> for it <laughs> paid a lot of money to do it yeah you went to where'd you go to school for for college, college? Right. i went to ucla okay so i moved to la like knowing i was supposed to go to college but i really wanted to be a musician yeah and i was like i gotta be in la you know i got a similar thing too. and i was like i'll be a pizza delivery guy i'll have my demo tape uh-huh I'll pass it I, around like a bunch college, of guys with cigars and, and i'll have to drop out of college because hugh hefner's gonna want me to be you know start a record label obviously <laughs> like like out of the grotto right, right exactly ucla what was the decision oh, yeah. to come down to ucla um that's a great question of all schools of all schools well i applied to like I think all the UCs uh-huh. and then I went, I did it. I threw a couple of Hail Marys to Stanford and Harvard because, because well, and I did really great in high school. Mm. I was, uh, I, I, I applied myself in high school. And so I, and I had the ethnic wild card. Oh yeah, that's true. <laughs> that that, that check the box, you know, For those like private schools, they other, love that stuff. Yeah. Right. They're looking to, you know, mm. brown up their, <laughs> their situation a little bit. So, I applied to those schools, did not get into Stanford or Harvard. 
Mm-hmm. Shocker. Oh. Uh, but I did get into all the UCs. Really? Yeah. You said you had great grades, man. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so my first choice was I wanted to go to UC San Diego because my oldest brother went there and I loved San Diego. And yeah. that was really a dumb decision. It was just comfort. I knew it better than anything. Yeah. But I'm so not, I, like, it's not my vibe. I'm not like a surfer. No. I'm not. You seem like a laid back California dude, but in a different kind of a way. I was like, <laughs> I, like I, I could see you as a surfer. Like, right. Like, and both of my brothers surf seven days a week and what? like, eh, Six days a week. Yeah. But um, it's, yeah, San Diego, like, appealed to me on this level of comfort, and I had a friend who was going there from school, and I knew La Jolla, and I mm-hmm. I thought it'd be kind of cool. And my parents were like, you got into Berkeley in L.A., you're not going to San Diego. Oh, really? Like, you can do whatever you want, but that's dumb if you're going because you like La Jolla. Like, yeah. You're not going for, like, the reason behind yeah, the schools and stuff like that. Exactly. So you, had, you got into Berkeley and... Yes. Yeah. But Berkeley was 15 minutes away from my house. Yeah. And I was like... And they really wanted me to go there. Naturally. I mean, they were being supportive about anything, but they were like, why don't you go to the, the best school that you got into? Yeah. And it's, it's close to home. You know, they like that. And I was like, dude, all I wanted to do was get out of San Rafael. That was priority number one. Get out of the Bay Area. Get out of Marin. Get out of, like... What was driving that? Just feeling, I don't know, like a 17-year-old who's like, there's got to be more to life. I spent most of high school dying to get out of high school. I don't Uh know why. I just always, like, I think having two older brothers who went to that school and our house was across the street from high school. Oh, damn. Like, it it was just so familiar. And by the time I was a junior, senior, for sure, it was just, I was over it. Yeah. And I was, it was small. And I was like, there's got to be more girls than there are here. There's Uh got to be more gigs there's got to be more everything you know mm-hmm. like so i just really wanted to get out of marin in retrospect i think i probably missed out on just like being a kid and enjoying that time but you never know that when you're actually like in high school you know like no i think i was just, just frustrated and over it like every other 17 year old yeah so i was like well i'll try la and i came to la to like ex- you know just do the tour or whatever and i had an uncle that lived in pasadena and he took me around to la and um it was cool and I liked it and all, but I had a, uh, a guy who went to my high school two years before me was at UCLA and we had become friends and, um, I spent like a weekend staying with him in like college guys and, like mm-hmm. in his apartment and he was a musician too. And he was like, you got to come to UCLA and you got to get into the jazz program. Kenny Burrell is the jazz instructor. who's this amazing jazz guitarist. Mm-hmm. He's the head of the music department. You got to come. And basically when you're 17 and you party with some college guys for a weekend yeah you're like oh i could i could do this i could get used to this and it was a great school still Mm. and i knew two other people from my class who were going there so i wasn't the only kid going to that school you know Mm -hmm. so i picked it and i also knew in the back of my mind whatever happens with college i want to be a musician yeah and at least i'm gonna have to move to la to do that so i might as well do it and then have this backbone of school and then just sort of be able to like wade into that whole world comfortably you know i couldn't imagine moving to la just like as an adult or whatever you know as a just try and make it yeah or something or as a you know 22 year old or 25 you know like but to just come here and say i want to make it and then reality hits you know okay i need a job and i need Mm -hmm. all these other i gotta get a car and all these things where like la sucks your life up you know like it was great i felt like to have that identity of being a student and always this sort of thing that you know, it's good to have like that focus and that point, and then you can find your way in the city and stuff. Because this city, as you know, is yeah. not entirely welcoming. Yeah, you know? I had a similar situation. I I, uh, I applied to a whole bunch of different schools. I had my Hail Marys. I had mm-hmm. uh, Juilliard, and then uh, 
Oh, so you wanted yeah. to be a fruit. Uh, absolutely, dude. Like I, I had all my black sweater ne- <laughs> turtlenecks. Like they were all lined up, and I was I was applying for drama, right? And, and then you know didn't get into that. You know, got close, very close. Uh-huh. They whittled it down to like you know eighteen people, and oh, I think nice. I was nineteenth. Oh, so that was a bummer. But um, but I ended up going to uh, a school down here so that I could be near LA. And mm-hmm. as, uh, within two weeks of me enrolling in school, I ended up going and taking classes over at the Groundlings. Mm. That was exactly what I wanted to do. I wanted to just like have school be paid for by future Jake yeah. <laughs> with all my loans, yeah. and I was going to get all my education and drop out as soon as I could. Exactly. Did you end up dropping out, or did you go all four years? I went all four years. Mm-hmm. Um, and I even like I I since I did as well as I did in high school, so much of that was applicable towards credits in mm-hmm. college that I was able to. I even had like time off my junior year. Mm-hmm. Um which was awesome because then I, that's when I started taking like, started taking all these extension courses and night classes about, um, it was the first time I ever took vocal classes and I started taking classes about home recording and classes about music business and classes like that was where, you know, I was junior year in college Mm -hmm. and I, I had a whole quarter off and then into the summer. So I had like six months off. Yeah. Um, and I was like, I want, you know, this is my the kind of a window to start learning more about what I want to be doing after college. Yeah. So that was actually a really cool opportunity. Yeah. And then graduated and then obviously couldn't like just make a living as a musician. No. So I had every kind of random odd job. I don't think I was going to say if I had, I don't know if I, I didn't have jobs for most of college, but my senior year, my parents were always really cool. Mm-hmm. And they were like, if, as long as you're in school full time, we'll pay for everything. Okay. You don't need to get a job because we want you to do well in school and just focus on school. But I wanted more money than my parents. My parents were like going to pay my bills, but you want your own money. Yeah, you want to be know? able to like take a girl out on a date. All, and that, say, like, all those kinds of things. So yeah. I ended up getting a job um, at the library my uh-huh. senior year, which was awesome working for the school because they have to work around your schedule. Oh, great. They prioritize your schedule and they paid crazy good. The, it's just that all the jobs are sort of like I worked in the library making sure all the books were the same distance from the edge of the shelf. <laughs> <laughs> Did that drive you nuts? Are you an anal retentive dude? No, you? you know what? It was amazing. You were allowed to work with headphones on. Uh-huh. And this was pre-iPod. So I had a disc man. Oh, yeah. That would tuck into my belt. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and put on headphones and... Um, were you still listening to jazz? What were you doing? Oh, doing a little... You know, prepare for the for the work day. Yeah, they, like, for those of you at home, he's <laughs> making a bong <laughs> signal. <laughs> he's from the Bay Area. He can't help it. It's like in the water. <laughs> <laughs> You've got enough THC in your system to get high dude, off your bones. This is your job. You show up, and for the next three hours, you're going to make sure that every edge of the of the book, every book edge <laughs> is the same, is an inch and a half from the edge of the shelf, and I you think, have ninety five stacks, ninety five aisles. Like go, hmm? you know. I think that they do that at Gitmo to like torture to get people. To- <laughs> They're like, like, where is the secret televanties? It was called work in the stacks. And that was one of the jobs at the library and the the entry level job. And Mm. people would actually fuck up at that job. No. And and how, how? Because they, it was, you had enough rope to hang yourself with, you Uh know, like, and people were given that much like time unsupervised. They would just, you know, fuck around, be, you know, like talk to other people or something, just like not do the one task they were supposed uh-huh. to do. The very simple automatomic. Like, yeah, yeah, just do it. And then, so I was actually promoted out of the stacks mm. into the microfiche lab, Ooh. which was a microform and microfiche were like, you know, the old, when you'd see on old movies where the guys were looking through old newspaper mm. clippings on the machines and the, you know, on like an old TV screen, turning the knobs. And mm-hmm. it was that kind of world. So 
people can't just come and pull the microfiche off themselves. It's like going to a pharmacy. They have to talk to the middleman. And so yeah. I, was, I was a middleman. They come to me and like, I'm doing a research on the 1906 earthquake. San Francisco Gazette yes. from like 19. And I was like, okay, this is what you need. And I go back, you know, into my little shelves and pull it out. And then most of them don't know how to use the machine. So you have to fill it up and stuff. And mm. so I actually really liked that. I thought it was really cool. I love that about new jobs or random jobs is that you learn a super particular skill set that's like its own little language mm-hmm. that like s- the smallest percent of people on earth know. Yeah. I just, and w- whatever job it is, like I used to work at a deli and I learned how to make like tuna salad. And mm-hmm. I just remember thinking like, I'm getting really good at making tuna salad. <laughs> and how many people on earth like have been trained to make tuna salad? Like and in it's a post-apocalyptic so situation? Or to learn how to use a POS, you know, like cash register. Oh yeah. Like, it's some stupid thing that you hate like, cause you're working at Starbucks, but like, okay, now you're this 1% on mm-hmm. earth that knows this weird little skill set. Yeah. I had that moment. I was working at the Morton's Steakhouse. So uh, the, the one in the Warner brothers, like record building. And one, oh, yeah. one day I was flying around on the Aloha point of sale sort of thing, just <laughs> booking it, just cooking around. Like, I like, like second nature, almost like I was just hooking the machine up to myself. And exactly. I had this moment of going like, I'm incredibly proficient at this. Yeah. And then uh, it was immediately followed by, Oh fuck. I hate my life. Exactly. That's <laughs> the follow up. I remember that feeling too of like, and this is not what I imagined being expert at, but yeah. and now people like the idea of microfiche, or like you'd have to go to some place to pull like a magnetic reel out you know, of this the is shell. What, this is what's gonna happen. I see this like like you, you, the world ends, you know, zombie apocalypse. But there's a cure. But it's some it's from some ancient newspaper, some article on the some Panamanian like. Uh, virus and you are the only one like anybody know how to work microfiche <laughs> your hand slowly goes up right Everybody's well they won't even know what the machine is and, yeah. I'll, and i'll just say what is microfiche all eyes turn to you anyway. i remember one time i had a glory moment in that lab there was a girl that came in an australian girl mm. who was a, a australian student came in some projects and she didn't know how to use machine and i was able to sort of you know save the day kind of a thing you know uh-huh. like let me show you you know yeah, figure it out and i was just a sucker for the australian accent and uh-huh. i just remember feeling like Dude, this this is this is the best. Dude, it's exotic without having a language barrier. It's not <laughs> exactly. as posh as English, so you know that they you know that they're at least down to have a good right. time. Australians yeah. party, and then I was I was able to solve a. You know how you just feel as a man when you solve a problem for oh, a yeah. woman. You're just like, oh, dude. Oh yeah. And she walked out of the room, and I never saw her again. Oh, well, <laughs> there you go. But at the same time, she probably has dreams about you. Who's that very very right? swarthy? I remember yeah, this yeah. one time I needed information. I need information, and there he was. <laughs> like a glistening man in the sun. Right? Yeah. Well, crazy, man. So, I think his name was Tiny. <laughs> tiny? Was it Tiny? Or was it Joe? <laughs> oh, Jovia. Corey. Maybe. <laughs> Corey. Corey. Oh, Seems like a Corey. Baranga. That's what it was. <laughs> well, dude, so, you, so you're, holding, you're holding all these terrible jobs. You're, when, did, uh, when did you start? They weren't all terrible, them? but, you know... They, uh, they're terrible when they're not music. I know that feeling. Yeah, that's true. You know, I worked, uh, I delivered groceries, um, worked at a museum, mm-hmm. worked at the library. Uh, then I got like a kind of a real job that was like 50 hours a week. I worked for a production company, um, that did like, um, motion graphics and special effects for mm-hmm. music videos and commercials and movies and stuff like that. And I didn't have anything really, any knowledge in that world. I mean, I found the job, I think on Craigslist, Really, but I really clicked with the guy in charge and mm-hmm. it was a really cool creative. It was a bunch of people in their mid twenties making art and getting paid for it. Come on. But it was, it was not music, you know, yeah. it was just fun to be around that, you know, and like it was good money and I got just meet cool people and 
felt like it was the company's sort of ethos was to make the world a, a cooler looking place. Great. Uh, I mean, you know, obviously their ethos was to make money, but yeah. you know, when I was 25 and believing it, I was like, oh, this is cool. It's all about art. Really doing it, man. And then uh, it's, I was constantly gigging that whole time and playing shows in LA and, and where were you with playing? bands. And dude, I've played every place in this town dude from all the places on, i did the pay to play thing on sunset and played yeah. every one of those places yeah the, what are you talking about like the viper room the, viper room the whiskey cat. key club um i've done all those too yeah the rainbow i mean upstairs of the rainbow uh just what's the cat club you the cat, cat club, club? Oh. yeah played the cat club that's that place is gone now yeah um, oh no what are they gonna do with all that extra typhoid they've already turned around? it into some other place now yeah, yeah it, there's so many venues um all, not just in Hollywood, I mean, all over LA. Mm. And then, I mean, at that point I'd already, you know, I'd met Sarah and that we were, we were playing coffee shops and stuff, but I was still also doing, I was in other bands and just like playing all the time, but none of it enough to make a living, obviously. Yeah. So still had, still had jobs. And then, you know, the Sarah thing still was a slow growth. I wasn't able to like, I started playing with her in, um, gosh, what was that been? 2003. Mm-hmm. And I didn't, quit my job until like 2007 probably wow. and and that whole time was that commercial production job um and they were so cool and like they let me quit the job for a month to go on tour mm-hmm. and then come back and have a job again like it That's was great it was amazing so he, that guy ended up giving me really like the the safety net that i needed to like succeed as a musician you know because so many people are like dude here's this opportunity and i kind of want to take it but it's jumping off this cliff. And if, you know, if, if I take this two week tour, that'll make me no money. I have to, I'll lose my job. Yeah. And then I got it. Like, I'm not going to find another job, you know? Mm -hmm. And I, this guy was always like, dude, I like you as a person. I like the work you do. You will always have a job here. And I want you to live your dream because I'm living my dream. So go be a musician. That's awesome. You know, and it was rad. And then, like I said, it took a while to get that plane off the ground, but I think 2006, 2007 Mm -hmm. was when I was last time I had a job. Wow. Just insane. That is insane, man. The last time you had a real. Tune. I mean, la- yeah, I've been playing guitar to make a living mm-hmm. since then. Do you ever just like every tax day? You have that little moment of pride when you go to a new accountant or something like that, and they say, "So what?" Moment do you of pride until you know. I you don't see have, the numbers. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> as a self-employed individual, it's always like, oh, yeah. when do I? How do I owe people something for what? Like I made no. Like <laughs> I didn't make any money. This is squeeze blood from a stone. Exactly. Here. But oh. uh, it does. Like. F- you know, it's funny. I'm somebody who I think I'm all, I have a tendency to look at what's not working out in uh-huh. my life. Oh, I'm the same way. You know? Exact um, same way, dude. And people remind me, thankfully, that like, dude, Javi, you make music for a living. And you've done it for six years. I'm the same way about like, about not looking toward the, uh, the brighter side of things. I remember it was one time we went on a vacation with my family. It was a really awesome we we never went on vacations we were always poor growing up but uh my little sister had congenital heart defect and so someone signed us up for a make a wish mm-hmm. vacation mm-hmm. and it was insane it was it was you know all to the nines you know uh, going down to disneyland breakfast with mickey fancy no hotel way. the whole thing you know like the, for a poor kid from like the middle of like some meth town in in california it was incredible At the very end of it my mom turns back to me while we're driving back up to our you know double wide trailer and said jake what did you think why was it and i just looked at her i said pirates of the caribbean was closed 
<laughs> took this incredible weekend that was given to us by the generosity of others that I had never seen before. I'd never been to a place that had room service, and I said, yeah, Pirates of the Caribbean was closed. Oh, my I, God. I, 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 the silver lining, I always say, is probably cyanide. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I'm that bad. Maybe I am. Yeah, I don't know. Well, but no, I generally, somebody will be like, so-and-so, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I find the one little thing to deflate the mm-hmm. balloon. Yeah. Well, I think there's a certain but portion. That's of, awesome. Pirates yeah. of the Caribbean is closed, dude. There's a certain portion of of your mind that you kind of say like, "Well, that's the thing that makes my songs th- that much better than the other songs that I hear out there." Is because I'm always a person that's not good enough. Mm-hmm. But it's also the same thing that says, uh, "I think I'll show you my songs later." I don't really feel like talking mm-hmm. about them. You know? mm-hmm. There's, um, I think that there's a great middle. There's there's incredibly talented people that are going to die in obscurity. And then there's incredibly mediocre people that are far too popular than they should be. Mm-hmm. But there's striking that happy medium. I want to be right in the middle. Right. <laughs> I want to die popularly. Yeah. So you recently just left the Sarah Bareilles gig. Is that right? You're on yeah. Um, musically. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, I am not playing guitar for her anymore. And that's it. You know, it's, it's funny. Um, I think she, it, it was a blessing. She switched up her whole band. Yeah. Like a year ago, a little more, a year and a half ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it was something that, you know, in the, I always really enjoyed being her guitar player, but she and I both knew that I always wanted to be a solo artist. Yeah. And um, she would always say that to me, like, you know, how, she would always really encourage me to still be that artist, you know, and mm-hmm. like, but at the same time, it was also like, if you're going to be this guitar player, you need to commit to this identity and make that choice, you know? And I committed to that identity of being that guitar player and being yeah. the side man and being a role player. And um, I think when she decided to switch the band up, it was something that I knew I needed. But it, to be honest, it was a decision that I was always afraid to make. Yeah. You know, when there was, I was getting paid so well and all the people in the band were my best friends. Mm-hmm. Um to go around the world like it was just the best job and every time there'd be downtime and then it was a time for me to finally be like all right now i can be javier done the solo artist it'd be two months later and then the the job would come back and it'd be like hey don't you want you know do this again for another six months and Mm -hmm. then it's two years yeah and i think i would have said yes again probably you know and deferred my dreams again you were telling me uh, we had a gig up in uh, in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. We're playing together, and at some point, you said like it was one of the and it's this has stuck with me for a long time. So ever since um, you you said that uh, one of the hardest things was looking at my dream from fifteen feet away. Yeah, and it 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 you know it's funny um, that was very hard, um, and it was also weirdly. Um, intoxicating you know like the same thing it it was also what made it so easy Mm -hmm. like now that i'm way more than 15 feet away i'm noticing that it's harder yeah because i'm not even on stage yeah and you know like and it's every all of life is perception and perspective yeah all of your reality is your point of view, you know, the angle at which you are deciding to believe in life. Oh, absolutely, man. And I think you just described the secret. I think that's uh, right. right there. He's right and there. Isn't that great? Somebody else was just telling me, I was talking about this and they're like, that's the secret. You need to read the secret. And I'm <laughs> like, whatever. Fuck dude, yeah. Um, Javier was just doing the jerk off mission in the <laughs> air for you radio listeners. Uh, and you know, being 15 feet away has its own perspective and its own perception. And there were times where I'd be thinking like, God, I'm, I'm, I'm like, 
so close to the sun that it burns, you know? Yeah. Um, and, but I want to be, I want to be that thing. And then there's other times now where it's like, man, just, just, just to be playing music on that level is that gift. You know, it's, 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 it's a tricky thing, but my, my true dream and my truth is, um, is being center stage. Yeah. Not center stage in some sort of like, um, like center of attention kind of way. But I mean, in the practical sense of when those people are on stage, the person who is the artist and the person who's in charge is the person who's at the center of the stage. Yeah. Like I want to be singing my songs and telling my story and having people connect to me. And, 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 you know, I was able to do that as a guitar player and her guitar player. And I, I feel like I had my own connection with people and the music and fans and stuff, but you know, for lack of putting it through the prism of Sarah um, I wanted to be doing what Sarah was doing. I still yeah. want to be doing that, you know? Yeah, and she I, acknowledged that. I think, you know, I acknowledge that. And Well, hell, you are doing it right now, man. I mean, the, yeah, you know, I am. Yeah. It's funny, I was going to give you the Pirates of the Caribbean is closed. But. Yeah. You know, and honestly, I think that the, I've seen this evolution since I've known you of, mm-hmm. of what your music has been going through and mm-hmm. how you've started out. You had, there's, I think when you make music, you're craving, uh, to create your own space, your own verisimilitude. You want to make your own entire world, um, much like a film director would do. And, you know, cause you've got this lens that you're forcing people to filter through their own perception, but you're, you're the one that's giving them, um, mm-hmm. the world. And, mm-hmm. and when you're playing for someone else, obviously you're doing the best to serve their dream. But when you're serving your own, I've seen the more and more you refine it, the more and more it becomes this clear and verdant and, and vibrant Thanks, thing. Thanks, man. Well, yeah. The, the Trails is a great record, man. It's Thanks. one of those ones. You know that it's a good record with me personally when I feel jealousy. If I really, really like it, <laughs> if I like it, okay, then I'm going like, oh, good for them. Yeah, but good if for I'm them. really jealous, then it's amazing. Awesome. Yeah, so there well, you go. Well, thank you. I don't, it's hard for me to notice those shifts within myself. You know, it's funny because... I catch myself thinking like, dude, I've been a solo artist for 10 years. Mm -hmm. Like I've been trying to do this in LA for 14 years. Like I've been writing songs and putting out records and, and, and doing this thing and nobody, you know, and, and when people like, and trails to me is totally logical because it's, it's, you know, Mm -hmm. I can, I remember, I vividly see the kid. It's 1999. Who's in his apartment. Like, learning how to use his SR-16 drum machine and mm-hmm. like programming these types of things. And so, so to me, it makes total sense. But to 99%, I'm three weeks old, you know, yeah. I literally like, or I'm, I'm pre nascent, you know, like yeah. I'm like people are, are I'm brand new. Yeah. And it's, it's sometimes, and it's, I can get frustrated sometimes. I think it was John Grisham that said it takes 10 years to become an overnight success. Really? Yeah. yeah. So, well, well, all right, good. Then here I am. <laughs> well, you know, and, and, and the reality is, I think, how do I put this? I think the right now, the music that I've made is obviously being better received than any of the other music I've made. Mm-hmm. What do you attribute that to? That's what's interesting is, and I, I don't know, I don't think I'm like way better than I've ever been. Like I like my old songs and I like the old thing. I think what I've finally done is, uh, I still censor myself, but censoring myself a lot less in Mm. terms of the music that comes. Um, I've always had really all sorts of different music in my brain and in my blood. And, but I've tried to really narrow it down to one little thing Mm. that I think people are going to like. Yeah. Um, 
And I had gotten advice from people along the road of like, you know, you need to find your sound and your niche and then stick to that because you're going to lose your audience and all these things, you you know. Mm -hmm. And in 2002, it was, you know, it's, I gotta be, you know, you have these, it's, it's gotta sound like John Mayer or some yeah. sort of thing that that's working for somebody else. And, you know, like I had my Damien Rice moments. So. It me too. Right. Exactly. And, and they're authentic to you. Yeah. And, and the music you're making is authentic, but I was putting it all through a filter of, are people going to like this? Yeah. And I had so many songs that I had decided people are not going to like this and they're not going to get this. So I'm going to put those away. Yeah. And those were the songs that ended up being the kind of songs, like, I got tons of these songs that sound like this new thing. And I finally, technology came around and was better. And, you know, honestly, it was advice from Sarah, because I'd play stuff for her as my best friend, Mm -hmm. that I just wanted to share something with somebody. Yeah. And she loved all of it. And she would flip on it. And she'd be like, dude, this stuff is so cool. You need to be producing stuff for other people. Oh, wow. And I would always take that as kind of like a backhanded, like, Wait, no, I want this to be like mine, me, like, you know, and and it was ultimately a compliment from her in that this stuff is so versatile and so cool that you could be making songs for all kinds of people and like hip hop songs and pop songs and Mm -hmm. jazz songs and stuff. And, but I kind of took it as like, oh, like you don't think I'm an artist, you know? Um, but the bottom line was that she really, really liked the music. Yeah. Um, and then, but then other, there's that, that voice, that self-critical voice that immediately comes up is that you don't like, you don't like, yeah, me. I'm going to take my ball and yeah, go home. Why don't you like it? Yeah, exactly. And then, you know, Jim Roach, the, the person who produced this record, mm-hmm. um, I had known him for a little while and he, we'd sort of been courting each other about working together. Yeah. Um, and then I was like, just so you know, the guy that you met a year ago, who's playing acoustic guitar stuff is still there, but this is the music that's i've been making lately and i sent it to him and he's like dude i love it let's make that record and from then on out people like no you know my friends have always been supportive of my music yeah and i would say out of 10 people that would hear my older stuff i'll be pretty objective i would say 40 percent approval rating Mm -hmm. you know of the new stuff you're saying no of Um, of all the old sort of the old hotel cafe singer songwriter javier dunn yeah kind of you know acoustic guitar okay. like dave matthewsy kind of a strumma thing. strumma strumma right which you know i was never just campfire strummy i was always kind of trying to do something different but you always had these these very like you know odd timing right know, i'm strum- way into like time and uh-huh. percussiveness and stuff like that um but it was it was the acoustic guitar singer songwriter troubadour guy yeah and 40 percent, i'd say people dug that and now i'm seeming to be getting some you know like a 70 percent like rate i say it's with like 80 or 90 with, with 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 the new stuff yeah 80 or 90 i think it's i think it's right in line with one thing this is one thing i want to share with you about it is there seems to be a confluence of what's out there now and what you put out right you, know, you kind of you you're not you're not in reaction to it you're with it is what it seems well like. thank you hmm. um i don't it's funny because most of these songs were cre- actually created almost now two years ago. Isn't that funny? I wrote this. Uh, I've been. I was making a bunch of stuff on uh, on Junos and, and yeah. you know, like all that stuff. And then when the Bon Iver record came out, I of course didn't put these songs out because I thought they were just cool little things that kind of sounded like, you know, a scene of Tom Cruise making love in an eighties movie. Yeah, you know, I'd make stuff like Dude, that. And then Bon Iver blew things open for me too. Absolutely. In and terms this- of what you thought could be palatable and yeah. acceptable did you get this with other people when you like your musician friends and they go like oh and listen like oh god that keyboard come on and then you're just going like but i kind of like it and then all of a sudden it becomes yes. this popular thing yes there a, i had a moment where i said like it, yeah, yeah. I, had, I had a moment where i just said like you know damn it but the record before that his first record 
hearing, for Emma forever to go. Yeah, and hearing him sing falsetto and how how accepted that was mm-hmm. by people. I I've always uh, I've never thought of myself as a good singer, but I always knew that I had a crutch that I could sing a little bo- a little better in falsetto. Hmm. Like for some reason, it just feels freer to me. Like I know I can. My brain is musical and it's on point, but it's locking in the muscles and doing all that stuff yeah. for singing. You mm-hmm. know. And for some reason with falsetto, I was always able to just be a little more comfortable. And it was always the cheat was I'd want to – like when I sing along in my car, I'm singing a falsetto. Yeah. But I would always think to myself, dude, you're not Prince. Nobody's ever going to want to hear you sing falsetto. So mm. just don't. It's just not cool for a white guy playing acoustic guitar. To Vulnerable. Yeah. It just And it just seems cheesy. Yeah. And all of a sudden when Bonnie Iver was doing it, I was like, wow, this guy's doing that sound that like oh, I know I could do that. But nobody's going to want to like listen to that kind of a thing. Mm. And it was this, and then it's like this thing of like, you know, the doubled falsetto. Yeah. And that's like his signature. And now so many people are doing it. And to me, it wasn't like, oh, I want to do that. But it was like, what are you so worried about that? Like people are like, just make it, yeah. you know? And that's when I, it's funny. This was a couple years ago. And I think I was writing songs like, here's the thing, which is on that record that yeah. has a lot of falsetto stuff. I do love that. Song. And thinking, I can't put this out because People are going to think it's a joke because I'm singing like a girl. Mm-hmm. They're going to think I'm I'm laughing as I'm doing it, and it's a joke. Yeah. When really it's not. It's just the way I want to sing the part and the tone that I hear. And then when Bonnie Bear did it, I was like, oh, ma- now people are going to get that it's like a musical decision. And they not- got a context. Right. And to me, it was just like – and then the Gautier record was a similar thing where it mm-hmm. was like not in terms of falsetto, but in terms of making music that traditionally would be like – people aren't going to want to hear a song that's got like a marimba part Mm -hmm. and like all these weird things. And then the next song on a record is like, you know, some weird, you know, distorted, like R and B song. Like his whole record was just so schizophrenic to me Mm -hmm. and acceptable. And I was just like, and he made it in a house or two different houses and a couple apartments, you know, and like online, you Mm -hmm. know, like, it just broke down those rules and then find that those were the ignitions of like, I can, I could just make the songs that I want to make. I ha- finally have the technology in my room mm-hmm. to make them. And I have all the ideas in my brain and I have the time. I don't have a job. Yeah. I have savings from being able to play guitar for Sarah. Do it. And I just started making tons of stuff. And it was just like, it's finally saying, you know, and creating a Tumblr page and just making a place where I could just put stuff out and then a couple people might like it here and there. And I started using fake band names mm-hmm. because I was really worried that like, no, if people, people, Javier Dunn is the Damien Rice uh-huh. acoustic guitar. What are they going to the think? Brand, right. And they're going to not like it or they're going to think that it's not me. And so I'll make up a band called El Alto uh-huh. and I'll, and, and then I'll put out that stuff. And then I made up a reggae group called Jones Johnson and the Slammers <laughs> and I put out reggae songs, you know, and then like made up all these little alter egos. And then how was the reception to these guys? mostly deaf ears. The only time I've ever gotten played on KCRW uh-huh. was a Jones Johnson and the Slammer song <laughs> really? that I sent into them and I was like, I sent it to Raul, Com- Raul Campos because oh, I really like him. Yeah, he's great. And he plays all kinds of music and I was like, dude, I, I, my name's Javier. I live in LA. I make all, here's like, here's a cover that I do, that animal cover. Yeah, that I, I love that popular. It's like, here's a cover, here's a reggae song and here's something that's actually under the Javier Dunn umbrella but I just love your DJ style, you know, whatever you want to play. And the one thing you picked was the Jones Johnson and the Slammers. And <laughs> it's like, dude, whatever it takes, you know. You know, you gotta, you gotta do what you gotta do. Yeah. I, I for a while, I, I think I'm outing myself right now, but I'm, I booked a tours under a fake manager name. Mm. Yeah, Oliver Featherstone, and I gave him an English accent That's and got awesome. and got a separate phone line and everything. It was, his name, he was from Love of Fire to Music, and his name was Oliver Featherstone. <laughs> yeah. 
That's so cool. So we call places like the bis- like biscuits and blues and yeah, totally like, like cosmic pizza and all those other places. Like, yeah, Jake's looking forward to it. Yeah, yeah. make sure there's water in his rider. That's awesome, dude. Yeah, dude. I always wanted to do stuff like that, but never had the balls. Yeah, I, it it ended up like not really doing much because people would be like, "Yeah, I've but, never heard of you." It's like, That's but you'd be I'm surprised a- what like some solicitation in quotes. And I did specific uh, like I made him English because you know like I, I made him want to you know gravitas. Yeah, travel travel across an ocean to work for me. Right, he's an international success. Absolutely. Yeah, I get it. Well, dude, thank you so much for coming in, man. Yeah, man. I don't know why I had to take my pants off to do this. It's it didn't seem relevant to the narrative. But it's prerequisite, man. Pre-wet. Pre-wet-requisite. Ah, I see what All right, well, I appreciated uh, the opportunity to come and talk to you and your listeners. Mm-hmm. And uh, people go out there and get this get this podcast. Do it's, it. It's on iTunes. Mm-hmm. It's on uh, it's on iTunes. It's on Libsyn. It's on all the all the your your best places to get all podcasts. those obscure Danish podcast websites like Libsyn. Libsyn. dot dot de or <laughs> whatever. Heinrich dot Ibsen dot dollhouse <laughs> dot, dot dollhouse dot turn of the century. That's some deep shit, y'all. Look at that, everyone. He's a learned man too. <laughs> he ain't just a pretty face. <laughs> all right, thanks, thanks for having again. me. Though. You're fun. welcome. Yeah. Man. Thank you for coming in, man. E. So how about that Javier Dunn guy? What a great guy. What a thoughtful guy. What a great conversation that we had. I really enjoy this show just for the very specific reason of being able to do that, to sit down and to talk without distractions. Look at me. I'm sounding like an old man again. I just want people to come and visit me. No one ever talks anymore. These kids with their flip phones and their Walkman. God help me. I'm playing Hotel Cafe this Wednesday, September 4th, with Miko and Brendan James. Check out hotelcafe.com for tickets and more information. There's going to be more shows coming up, more things to announce. You can find everything that you need to know at jakenewton.com or sharkbrainpodcast.com. Send me a comment, send me an email, let me know what you think of the show, click on the donate button. Give me suggestions about who I should have on the show. I'll use my power and influence that I've built up in the entertainment industry over these few years to get them on here. I'm very excited. Thank you for listening. I really appreciate it. Have a wonderful, albeit blazingly hot, day. Unless you're in the Southern Hemisphere, in which case, you know, hey, good day. I'm going to go work out. I'm going to do it. I'm going to stand up. I'm going to walk into the other room. I'm going to put on my tennis shoes. I'm going to make it happen. Can you, can you tell from the excitement in my voice? I'm, 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 I'm overjoyed. Shark brain! <laughs> <laughs>